Welcome to the 50th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brennan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about the fact that you have too many alerts. I don't have too many alerts. Oh, trust me, Jared, you have too many alerts. I just have them all go to Dev Null. <laughs> oh, you're that guy. <laughs> So this episode in part came from a conversation I had on the street at Monitorama with somebody and I realized that we only have two pages that trigger for the entire logging pipeline that we've built. It's only two. We don't have disk alerts. We don't have host alerts. We don't have all kinds of things. The two alerts we have are if the cluster state is red, we've lost enough nodes that we can't play shards. We've lost enough masters. We have some kind of cluster activity that's compromised. Or that the lag in seconds is greater than an hour. So the lag for ingestion. And those are the two cases in which we should be woken up. All of the other kind of critical or whatever things, they don't warrant actually waking us up. Yeah, they trigger a host replacement or they trigger an event, but it doesn't mean wake somebody up at 2 o'clock in the morning and make them get out of bed and come figure things out. And... We have so much stuff that we instrument and so much stuff that we do send emails about. And we have all these metrics and things. But in terms of pages, in terms of alerts that wake us up, there's two. I think it's super easy to get caught in the problem of over-monitoring. Where you have a problem happen the night before, you get a page, you figure it out, and you really think, okay, well, we need to be alerted if this problem happens again. And that is actually a fallacy. Yeah, but unfortunately, sometimes that's brought on by bosses, right? I mean, I know that I've been with more than one boss who uh, unfortunately has access, well, I, I guess not necessarily unfortunate, but they have access to the alerts and, and they, or access to alerts that don't get triggered, and so they say, well, we want an alert for X, Y, or Z. They're involved for, with the outage or the problems. Right. And, oh my God, we have to know if that ever happens again. Exactly. Yeah, so this is why I consult yeah. now for a living, because all my bosses did that. <laughs> now, all my clients do that. One of the important things is differentiating between something that needs to wake somebody up and sending somebody a note so they know to look at it later. I probably get 20 or 30 emails over any given night about various conditions that happen in the logging system or other pieces of the stack that I care about reading and they're important in the morning for like the punch list of, okay, go through and make sure that these various systems are healthy and they're surviving. But none of those are worthy of actually waking me up. One of my cardinal rules for dealing with on-call and monitoring and alerting systems is if you want a quiet on-call rotation, it's imperative that you have a system for dealing with high-priority issues but are not immediately critical. If a disk gets full, it's possible you can handle it the next business day. If there's other conditions that you're watched for that are signs that something may go bump in the night, usually those are low-priority alerts that you can address the next business day before they blow up and cause a major issue. But it's important that folks have a defined system that holds them accountable and responsible for addressing those low priority alerts. And that includes upper management giving the person who's on call the time to deal with those the next business day. So almost, 
I, I don't know. It, it's depending on it, it, it different. It's different between every environment or the size of your environment. But for instance, that whoever's on call that week, uh, I don't know, the first hour or two of their day is spent resolving the lower priority alerts that occurred over the night, over the previous night. Yep. That's my usual suggestion. If you're on call and not actively handling instances and are doing normal working day work, go through all the low priority alerts and try to get them resolved or figure out what's going on. But or I, I think it's tuned them. I think it's a little more imperative than that. I think it's, it can't just be if you aren't doing your project work. I think part of your time as on call has to be dealing with those. Else, yes, part of your time on call is dealing with low and high priority them. alerts. Right. You cannot ignore low priority alerts or you're not going to have a quiet on call rotation. Your monitoring board is going to turn into a field red. It's imperative that you, during normal business hours, address those low priority alerts. And depending on the environment, sometimes if you have, especially if you have understanding management, the person who's on call should be excused from the bulk of routine work for that week. If you have a really abusive pager rotation, if you have a lot of stuff that gets triggered, or even just you have a bad week, if you, normally things are fine, but you have a really bad week, the person who's bearing the brunt of it needs to be given the space and the time to work off the alert queue and kind of burn down that list and not be buried under the normal meeting load and everything else that everybody else is subject to. The most common problem I see is that you're trying to dig out of probably an over-monitoring solution. And that person that's on call, yeah, we're making improvements and we're digging ourselves out of a hole, but yeah, that person needs to be dedicated while they're on call to doing that work, not so much in the way of, of JIRA tickets and project work. So I've got a solution for over-monitoring. Well, at least to, to acknowledge that you're over-monitoring. Uh, and that's something that we I've actually ran into at the, uh, the current place that I am working at. And that is having an on-call review meeting. Uh, we generally do it the, the day that the person is coming off the rotation. So the, the week is still fresh in their mind. And we just go through every alert and label whether that was actually a legitimate alert and then also whether it was actionable whether the the person who was on call actually did something with the alert or did it just auto resolve and not only does that help set up accountability but it also helps track things like hey this one alert has gone off for the last three cycles now and no one has done anything with it do we really need this alert or is this indicative of a larger problem that practice is incredibly useful for helping a team make their own call cycle better. Even if you're even if you've got a pretty good on-call rotation, I would still recommend having that practice as part of your handoff from one on-call person to the next every week. Uh, because there's there really is cases where that will illuminate certain failure patterns that you may not be aware of. But yeah, that's a super useful technique to work your way out of that out of that bag. Another important thing that you need to do is you don't send pages unless somebody has to get up now, and they're the only people that can fix it. If you have an auto-remediation system, don't page them and run the auto-remediation. Run the auto-remediation first. If it fails, then page somebody. If you have alerts that are overly sensitive and they're triggering all the time, one of two things is going to happen. People are going to start ignoring them, or people are going to burn out, or both. Um, several weeks ago, we were having an issue where one of our checks was turned way too sensitive, and a colleague of mine 
started to get really angry and really just frustrated all the time because he was being paged constantly. And when I got back from vacation, I was like, dude, okay, first off, call me. And second, you should have adjusted the alert. He's like, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't in the right place, the right state of mind to do that. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's the signs of this is getting too much. You need to pull things back. Cause otherwise people get angry and they find new jobs. Also to uh, speak to your auto run alert. If you have a run book that's associated with the alert and it's basically go here and run this script, then the alert should just do that from the get go. And you probably shouldn't even have an alert unless the script can't execute and something else fails. You know, I'm not a fan of auto remediation systems. If you are getting down to the point where you build an alert that somehow runs a runbook because it knows exactly what's wrong, that's caused-based alerting. Um, so, A, you've added a bunch of complexity to an auto-healing system that you might need, but running it through your alert system probably isn't the most straightforward way to handle an auto-healing system. Uh, secondly, if you are alerting on causes rather than symptoms... That's a sure sign of over-monitoring. Alerting should be systematic, or excuse me, alerting should be um, symptomatic. Cause-based information um, in symptomatic-based pages can be useful in a dashboard, uh, but I really suggest that folks avoid alerting directly on causes. Uh, I had a really super example uh, that came up this past week we have an alert that fires if puppet isn't running on a machine for some reason that state is means there's something wrong with the machine it's incredibly actionable uh, and it usually requires an actual human to sort of step through and figure out what's wrong well in debugging this particular alert uh, a colleague of mine noticed that the reason Puppet wasn't running was because Malik was failing, because the machine didn't have enough memory to for Puppet to run at all. This turned into a conversation about, well, we need to monitor for Puppet being out of memory or not able to Malik memory, or monitor the memory usage on a machine, or monitor Malik failures from the kernel. And I'm like, stop, stop, step back. This is just creating more work for yourself. Those are great so, metrics to have. Those are great things to put into a dashboard or to collect in the fleet. So when you want them later, you can you can deep dive into what the problem was. It's not something you can set an alert off of. Or put in a run book. This is a common fail or a failure case that we've ran into with this service. These are things you can look for. But you're going to have to catch the symptom anyway. That puppet's not running. There's a myriad of reasons why Puppet may fail to run. Catching a single cause is just one particular cause. Okay, so now you've got the symptom and the cause that you're alerting on. Now if that cause happens again, you get paged twice. Now you're figuring out how, how to tune the alerts and dependency trees and a complication you don't need in your alerting system. All of this reminds me of probably my favorite monitoring system that I've ever used, which was the system in use at NC State, which I think is still actually there. Every host had three or four checks that were that were alertable, and that was it. 
and it was almost always an up check. You know, it was pinging because the host was supposed to respond to network traffic. And then, like, the IMAP servers had, is it listening on the correct port with the appropriate response spanner? Or is the TLS certificate valid? We didn't monitor on, we didn't alert on memory or CPU or disk space or any of those things. Because for most of the cases, those were conditions. And if, like, the disk filled up, it would cause it to stop listening on IMAP. And then that would wake us up because something had broken. And we didn't need 50, 60, 70 checks per host that alerted people. We needed the three or four that our, our users cared about. Yeah, I'm, I'm very good, big on alerts that are around problems that can impact the customer, like latent load times, HP errors, or... Your alert you should focus around availability, basic functionality, uh, latency, and correctness. If exactly. you can't classify an alert uh, somewhere in those categories, that starts to get questionable and probably calls-related. And we've said it before on this podcast, but if one of your 200 API servers fails, do you really care? Does, does it matter at 2 o'clock in the morning? Now, if half of them fail and your latency goes up or you're, you start erroring out users, okay, you care a lot. But one? No. Nobody cares. I might care in the morning when I check it into work and want to make sure everything's in a good state. But I don't want to be waking up unless the latency or correctness of my customer-facing APIs becomes poor. And remember that your customers are sometimes internal teams. They're not always people that pay your company money. If there's a services team or an application team that relies on an output that you provide, they can be just as impacted as you are by an outage. And you can cause them have you can cause them to have outages with their their customer-facing things, their public-facing things if one of your internal services is down. So Take it seriously, but know who your customers are and what they care about. Yeah, and I, I feel like this next point is going to be a little outside of the scope. But I, I like, since we are talking about alerts, I like for alerts to contain context just to help whoever is on call. Oh, that's um, perfectly valid. Well, and and not just, you know, the host name and that kind of thing. I like, I, I like other statistics to be included. Or a documentation. I like actually. I actually like documentation that's embedded with the alert. I'm not a big fan of run books just because a lot of time they end up being go here, run this script. Um, so I'd much rather have the documentation embedded, at least with the notification that gets sent to your device. I also like for gra- relevant graphs to be included, and they don't just have to be for the alert that triggered. It might be, you know, if the if you always find that CPU is real high when a certain alert triggers. You can look at the the gra- the history of the CPU for the last 15 minutes that's embedded with the alert. Things like that. Yeah, I think uh, providing context is super useful. And level one is making sure that when you send out an alert notification, you've got uh, URLs to a runbook, to relevant dashboards, to relevant um, log searches. Uh, those things are awfully helpful. It's also key to sort of present them in a user-friendly way so that you can easily get them from the PagerDuty app on your phone or the email you got. If you're just kind of shoving around JSON and you shove that up into PagerDuty, that's probably not going to be a useful interface for somebody to figure out, okay, I need to find this runbook which links to this Kibana dashboard that might be able to figure out what's going on here. But level two is definitely having enough really UI and design so that you're pushing some relevant graphs, uh, relevant information actually embedded in the alert. 
Um, another interesting thing that I've seen is when a, a high priority alert fires, it also includes a list of of low priority alerts or other alerts that are also firing at the same time. So it's really easy for you to grab contact stuff of what else is going on in the system and is it related? One of the other things that I want people to keep in mind in general in building these systems, because this has bitten me many times, is a lot of people have links to dashboards or links to Jira tickets or links to whatever, but they're links to things that require VPN connections. And if you have a commercial vendor-supplied VPN, it may not be accessible on your mobile device. And now you have to stop what you're doing and go find a computer to see how critical this thing actually is. So if you can render out the graph and stick it in the, in the alert rather than having a link to a dashboard or a, a reference. Exactly, which is why I like embedded. You got to serve that PNG from somewhere, Jared. Yeah, base 64 encode it and shove it in the email. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, email is instant messaging, yes. It is. <laughs> no, email is file storage. <laughs> so I kind of want to circle back to cause-based alerting just a little bit because, well, I'm pretty adamant that if you're doing cause-based alerting, you're over-monitoring, which is really the most difficult problem you can really be in and find your way out of. But there are definitely times when cause-based alerting is necessary. If you need to monitor something that's outside of your control... Uh, a VPN connection, perhaps, or something from another vendor that may require a short list of steps that a human needs to be aware of or trigger or start, but that you otherwise can't do a lot about. There are definitely some of those situations. When we were working at just... State, one of the things we moved to Google Apps as a vendor of email and, and things, and we had an alert that would trigger for the Google Apps services being down. And it wasn't to wake somebody up in the sense that you can go fix it, but it was the, we need to post something to the campus community saying, hey, Gmail is down or Google Docs is down. We're aware of it. We're working with the vendor because when you have tens of thousands of users who are relying on you to provide a service and you can't fix the service itself, you have to at least tell them, hey, it's broken. We know it's broken. We're working on what we can do to fix it. And if you have a cause-based alerts for a couple of things, Make sure you've got a matching symptom-based alert as well. Yeah, and for those external alerts, I, I was just going to add that your your case was a, a good example. So I've seen some cases where people just add, add external monitoring, like, oh, we use this service, so we should monitor it with no, no resolution path. No, like, okay, well, if this does get triggered, we're going to go contact support, or we're going to notify users. It's just, oh, we just want to know if it's down. And it just adds more noise, in my opinion. So what have you guys used previously to do tracking and accountability of alerts? How do you enforce that uh, when an alert fires, that somebody actually grabs it and does something useful with it? So at my current position, um, like I said, we have this review meeting. And so somebody actually created a nice script and queries the PagerDuty APIs and gets the information down. And part of the information they get is who was assigned the ticket and who resolved the ticket. Um, and so it, when we go through the own call review, we question whoever, you know, did that and, and ask, did you actually close this out or what did you do? And, and then it become, it can become noticeable if 
the number of people who are assigned are different than who's actually on call. And outside of PagerDuty, all I've really used in terms of effective systems is Nagios. When you log into Nagios and you say, yes, I'm acknowledging this alert, and now everybody else knows that you have it and you've been dealing with it and you'll hand off the status of it the next day or whatever it is. I've been thinking recently of resurrecting something like a master station log for all the, the logging cluster changes because during an outage or during an event, there are so many different knobs we have the ability to turn that we can never keep track of what we have done. And this is wandering a little bit off topic, but I kind of want to build a very simple, very robust way to log every action we do in the cluster and then notes that we have ourselves about it. So we say, oh, we did this at this time, and then we can look back and go, okay, so we did that before we changed the allocation routing and before we did this, and we have an exact copy of what we had been working on. And we also know who did it, and there's no question about why it was done, how it was done, what, why we left it in whichever state it was in. I will say that is one thing that I... I do miss using Prometheus now versus Nagios. And, I, and I'm not even saying that Prometheus should have this in Alert Manager, but I do miss the acknowledgments in Nagios. I know I understand why it's not there because they're staying on the shoulders of giants. They expect that to be pushed off to other systems like PagerDuty or that kind of thing. But it was nice to have it all in one interface where you could see things were down, you could acknowledge it or put set down time in a singular interface. And I can see where that's that's been a problem for us with the adoption of Prometheus, where people were used to going to Nagios for everything, and now it's like, well, for this, you can go to Alert Manager. For this, you can go to PagerDuty. For this, you can go here. How do I find my Prometheus instance again? Yeah. Exactly. Service discovery. How do you discover your service if you don't know what you're looking for? I'm sure there's a Docker container for that, right? Oh. But yeah, the differences between Prometheus and Nagios are definitely require some hurdles to get over, and not everyone in your company, especially with your larger company, jumps those hurdles at the same time. Nagios is, is very much an inventory-based system. Each host is inventory, inventoried, and each possible alert combination is present when you view that host in Nagios. And with Prometheus, it's not inventory-based data. It's big data queries. So if a certain condition is true, you can see it. But there's it's difficult to see what conditions could be true if you want to figure out where could a certain alert pop up in the future. And that, that definitely takes some getting used to. I don't really think that's super useful information, but folks are definitely used to be able to, to look at Nagios and realizing, wow, this is running an IMAP server. It, I, should, I should know that somehow. One of the things that I find the most difficult about the switch from Nagios to Prometheus is in Nagios, I know exactly where to go to say, I'm doing maintenance on this service or this host or this thing. I'm going to silence the alerts beforehand. And I still have not made the mental switch to say, I need to go into alert manager and or pager duty and or whatever else and go silence all the possible combinations. And I just, I don't, I haven't made that, that connection yet. And I really need to. And the biggest issue with creating silences in Alert Manager for Prometheus is you can create the silences all you want to, but it's arbitrary strings and regexes that you're typing into the UI. Do those actually match the problems that are going to be generated? Does that catch all the alert cases? And it's... I've done it before. It's real easy to 
to silence alert name equals host down and typo it wrong and then you start your maintenance and then all the alerts come through or you mistype the fqdn of a host or you mistype the tier or whatever it is whereas or the ui inserts a space after you type in your regex autocorrect for the win so yeah there as much as i love prometheus alert manager i think is really one of its most weakest points agreed so if you're looking for an open source project to hack on. So before we go, uh, I definitely want to point out one of the SREs at Google uh, released an excellent paper some number of years ago uh, entitled My Philosophy on Alerting. It's short. It's mostly bullet points. If you've read it before, go read it again. Um, it's really the starting point for figuring out how you can take your your monitoring system, your alerting system, and really transition it into into something that's useful and sane and lets you sleep at night. Please take the time to rate the show on Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. It really is the best way for new listeners to find us. We welcome feedback about shows you've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm. Send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm, or use at operations.fm on Twitter. That wraps it up for the 50th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Thanks. Good night. Woohoo! 50 episodes!